continue this morning that outside of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, outside of the New Testament, that the period known as the Reformation, which started around 1517, is the greatest moment outside of the Scripture in pulling us back to the person and work of God, back to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Back to what it means as Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably the greatest preacher in the last hundred years, has spoken and reminded us that the Reformation brought God's people to the surface once again and reminding them of who God is and what the gospel is. Brothers and sisters, friends, family members who have gathered here today, I want you to know this, that it is all about Jesus that it is all about the gospel, that it is all about what he has done and not what we can contribute to this gospel message. So we are reminded this morning as the part of Mission Church that what it truly is all about as we continue in this sermon series called God is the Gospel and we join with thousands, if not millions of saints who have gone before us, who have been faithful to calling us back to the gospel, back to Jesus, back to the power of the Holy Spirit, back to the character and nature of God. See, because when that Reformation started, it has never stopped. It is continuing. And I would beg to you today, I would implore you today on behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are in need of once again to being brought near to God, to his character, to who he is. This week, um, I teach up at Western Kentucky University, and I was just enamored this week as I do this uh, part of my classes on diversity, and so I'm able to talk about religion. And this week, um, I was given some quotes by some students both of these, some of these are claiming to be Catholics, some of them are claiming to be Christians. And I've got these on a slide that I want to show with you this morning, just the state of where we are and where we need to come back to. I had a Catholic friend tell me this week that, um, that they don't know the Bible very well, that they've actually never read the Bible. I had a Catholic friend tell me this week that they weren't taught much in regards to the Bible in their church. I had a professing Christian friend tell me this week that I feel like sacred writings are to be interpreted differently by each person, and I'm not super familiar with the Bible. I had another Christian friend tell me this week, uh, well, it's a mixed opinion. I believe in God, Jesus, but there's some parts of the Bible that strikes me as more fictionary. I believe in most of it, but not all of it. Another professing Christian friend tell me this week that I think that most of them contain hidden mean, meanings and should not be con taken completely, literally. And lastly, I had a Christian friend tell me this week that I am a Christian, but that the Bible was not written by God. Now, these are from 18 and 19-year-olds. But I would argue this morning that if I was to give this same survey, ask these same questions, that we would be actually knocked down, many of us, by those who are professing to be followers of Jesus and yet believe that from Genesis to Revelation that it is not all the Word of God. That some of it is and that some of it isn't. 
See, we live in a culture, once again, that has lost the, the authority or the belief in the authority and the power of the Scripture. That it is literally the inspired Word of God that is good for rebu- rebuke and reproof. That it is a, a, a refining fire in and of itself that shows to us who God is. We see a lot of times in talking about the power of God, that we want to focus a lot of the power of God simply on creation. And and that's probably a sermon in and of itself. But on this day, in dealing with the idea of the Reformation and the importance of the power of God in salvation, I want to keep this section of the, the sermon rather short by just reading you some verses. We see in Psalm 145 that God in his power, that he is great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. We see in Jeremiah 10, 12, that it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the word by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. We see in Jeremiah 32, 17, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So yes, brothers and sisters, we can see from it in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that the Bible is projecting this power that God has in all of creation, from a mosquito to the the food cycle to the, the wind and the rain to the very storms that happen all over this earth. Those are all controlled by the very hand and nature of God. See, God being God can do whatever God wants to do, except this. There is something that God cannot do. God cannot go against his very character and his nature. If he does, then he ceases to be God. God is almighty. He is powerful. He is in control, as we will talk next week when we look at the sovereignty of God. But today specifically, I want to focus in on our time that we must learn to trust this power. We must believe in God's power. We must realize that whatever God does in his nature, because he is also good and he is powerful, that whatever he does in this power, that it is also good. See, sin, Satan, and death wants to convince all of us that what God does, even if he is all-powerful, is not always good. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that this is a lie from the enemy. This is sin, Satan, and darkness whispering into your ears. And yet, let us all face it. We have all heard the whispers of the enemy. Surely, this can not be good. Surely this storm cannot be good. Surely this flood cannot be good. Surely cancer cannot be good. And yet I would continue, I would argue with you today that in the hands of an all-powerful, mighty God that even the worst things imaginable can be good. We see from our passage today, specifically focusing the rest of our time on this, knowing that God is powerful, knowing that God is power, specifically when we get to the book of Romans, um, we have this man named Paul. 
Paul's desire in many of his letters, he keeps talking about how he wants to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and that he hopes to eventually to, to go to Rome and then he hopes to eventually go to Spain, that he wants to preach the gospel message to anyone and everyone that will hear him. In verse 15, if you're looking at your word, he, he tells us there, he says, man, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. This was of utmost importance to this man named Paul. This man who was a persecutor of Christians. He was, he was in many ways, he was a terrorist against Christians. He wanted to eradicate the earth of their blasphemous ways of these self-professing Christ followers. And yet, on the road to Damascus, God himself, Jesus himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, shows up, knocks this man named Saul off of his horse, calling him unto himself, saving him, and then commissioning him through his power to take this gospel. And so in this, he writes this fantastic letter, my favorite letter in all of the New Testament, the book of Romans. So he's writing to them because at this point, he's not met them. He's not spent time with them, and yet he wants to establish who he is as a follower of Jesus, and that he's eager with one message, and this is the message of the gospel. So he writes them, telling of this eagerness, and then he goes into verse 16 where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, friends, those who have gathered here today, man, in these very small, I think in the Greek it's like 40 words kind of slung together. And inside of this, we, we see the power of God revealed specifically in a very powerful way, and that is the gospel. And Paul had come to know this gospel truth because he had come to know the maker and the founder and the finisher of that gospel, and his name is Jesus. So Paul is able to say such things as we'll talk about in just a minute, that he is not ashamed of the gospel. But right now, let's look at just a second, at that second little phrase there where he says, for it is the power of God. See, God is all-powerful. Do you believe that today? When someone says that I am ill, and can we pray, do you actually believe that God can heal them? That he actually has the power to heal that person? That God himself is in control? That God can literally raise a dead man back to life? That, that God can transform a nation? That God can save the masses? Are those simply things that you intellectually astute to? Or are those truths that you hold dear to your heart? God is all-powerful. We often say that God is omnipotent. This is a big theological term. Don't get all jacked up into that and confused this morning. Omni means all. Potent means powerful. God is all-powerful. He is. We need to get this this morning, that God and his power are inseparable. Power is not simply God shows, but it is who God is. 
Even Jesus himself in the Gospel of Mark. This gets Jesus into a lot of trouble. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 61, Jesus says this, I am, and you will see, the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? God is all-powerful. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of power, that this is a position. It is our character. It is who we are. We've been quoting Tozer a lot in this current sermon series. A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor, kind of the mid-20th century. And uh, he said this about God's power. He says, all his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that he must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do, all that he wills to do, lies in the undiminished fullness of his own infinite being. See, God does not have to run to a vacation to replenish himself. God doesn't have to binge watch a television show to relax. God isn't looking for a beverage or eating some comfort food in order to give himself some sort of strength. See, no, God is powerful and he is perfectly powerful in that power. It is who he is. God is not sweating this morning. God is not disappointed as Pastor Todd is that Kentucky beat Tennessee last night. I'm glad he made it. Glad you're here. God is not like us. God is not us. He is all-powerful. He is in control. When you look at the Greek word for power, it is the word dunamis. It describes an inerrant power residing in a thing by virtue of nature. Dunamis is sometimes translated the word we get miracle. We get the English word dynamic, which means energy produced by motion. We get the word like dynamite. However, Scripture is not referring to this idea of God's power being explosive or simply blowing things up, which that, that would be cool if he did, but it's not what it means. It is a power within God himself to cause things to happen at its own will and demand. Dunamis is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It it regenerates. That means to be born again. If you are saved here today, you are, in the words that I grew up in the country church, it was born again, all right? If you are, that means you're regenerated. That was brought on by the very power and nature of God. See, it is a sweet and loving message of mercy and grace, which the Holy Spirit in sovereign grace makes it operate in you and I's heart. The power of God is the effect of salvation. It is the cause agent. This is what Paul is discussing when he is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the effect of God. It is the power of God. It is the cause agent of God that when the gospel is preached or the truth in the gospel does not simply lay dormant. But the gospel is active, that it is effective. See, God's power is not shown brightest in his ability to expand the universe. 
I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd that to whoop you, so don't get any ideas. But I'm a nerd. I like stars and looking at planets. I like microscopes and looking at bugs. I like all of that sort of stuff. I like the idea of gazing from these huge telescopes and satellites that are going throughout the galaxy and pumping back pictures to us. And I, I can get really marveled into all of that and just uh, amazed at the creativity of our God. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the, the beauty of God's power is not shown brightest in those stars and those galaxies. It is not showing brightest in the Grand Canyon or looking upon the ocean. No, the, 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 the power of God is shining brightest in the person and work of Jesus. It's by which God's power is used in our redemption, which he uses in our preservation, which he uses and will use in our glorification. See, this message that Paul is not ashamed of, this power that he speaks of, this is the message that saves you. This is, is the greatest act of God, is his ability, his power, his will, his declaration to save men and women who are undeserving completely of this salvation. This message, this gospel that Paul is not ashamed of is what brought you and I to life. See, the Reformation and Mission Church and gospel-believing churches, what we are fighting for is not this idea that in some way we have synergy with God. You know what synergy means, right? We work together. Together is better. Our kids, this mentality is pumped into them every day when they go to at least Warren County Public Schools. Together is better. Together is better. And though there are some truths in that, that we need to understand, and we are better together. In regards to salvation, you and I do not have a partnership in this deal. It is God who saves. It is not a joint effort. You are not saved by, by something that you have contributed to this. You come empty. In better terms, you are dead in your sins, and it is simply happening because of the power of God. See, when Jesus says that you and I are free, brothers and sisters, we are free indeed. It's not a kind of free. It's not a sort of free. But when Jesus says you are free, you are free indeed. When, when Jesus declares that you are healed, you are healed. When Jesus says, get up, guess what you do? You get up. The only reason why you don't know somebody that has not been resurrected from the dead other than Jesus and some stories we have in Scripture is because God has chosen not to do it. But let us not think for one iota, one moment, that it's not because he can't. He can. And he will according to his own will and purpose. See, when God says to a dead man, to a dead woman, get up, then guess what happens? Your cold, stinky, dead heart will begin to beat inside of your chest. Those electrodes inside of your brain that have stopped firing, possibly for days if you're like Lazarus, guess what's going to happen? When Jesus is outside of your tomb of death and he's calling you to come forward, you can't help 
for that heart to start beating. You can't help for that brain to start firing. You can't help for the very breath of God to fill those lungs, causing those, those pockets of air to, to move as it generates the engine of your heart, flowing blood to the moment where you will waddle out in your grave clothes. This is what God does. God, the power of God in salvation is if not his greatest feat, definitely one of his greatest. See, you and I can't save each other. We can't save ourselves. But God saves. God's power is effectual. It is not a potential power. It is an effectual power. If you're a believer, then, then you need to get this, that, that, that there's not something good inside of you. There's not a power within you. You've not got just a glimpse of hope. You're without hope. It is not simply based upon your decision. It is because of the very hand of God, the very power of God, that you and I are true believers. Brothers and sisters, friends, let's face it. You and I are all prone to think that we had something to do with it. You and I are all, are all prone to want to grasp for power. You and I are all prone to want to be the masters of our own domain, to be control freaks, not only of ourselves, but of others as well. This is our bent because of sin, and yet God is lavish and patient in his grace, is reminding us over and over and over again that it is God's power and not our own. And we should find great hope in this. Because in my power, it becomes weak. And yet God's power never loses its power. He is God. When the power of God is revealed to whomever God wills, people will be saved. His power is the cause. His power is the effect. And so, brothers and sisters, I want you to know something this morning. That's why you and I don't have to be cute in this gospel thing. We need to be faithful in this gospel thing. We don't have to come up with entertaining means to try to attract more people because what that ultimately does is lead people toward a, a path of unfaithfulness, a path of unrighteousness, and yet the power of God is the power to save. That's why in Psalm chapter 68, verse 20, it says, Our God is the God of salvation. And to God, the Lord belongs deliverances from death. This is the power of God in salvation this morning. This is what Paul is getting to. Is he is wanting to speak to these people. As he's wanting to preach to these people, he's saying, man, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he have to say that? Why does he have to let them know that he is not ashamed of this gospel? See, something that's kind of missing from being 2,000 years out or so from this is that Rome was the center of the ancient world. It seemed to be the axis by which the very world revolved around. It was not merely a city. It was, it was literally a frame of mind. I would contend to you that the belief of Rome was a religion. Amongst 
this religious group amongst this just, I mean, sea of paganism and, 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 and being secular, being anti the gospel. In this city called Rome, there's this remnant. I mean, let's face it. There's lots of reasons kind of be ashamed of the gospel. It's weird. It's weird. I believe that one man's death upon a cross and in the power of his resurrection has the power to absorb God's wrath for whomever God deems. I believe that a man can walk on a water, that a, a, a man can... A God-man can heal the lame and, 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 and heal the blind and cause dead people to get up from the grave. I mean, this is a, a scandalous, strange thing. And we often feel this sort of shame when we lose focus on who God is and the culture is all heading in one direction. For you and I to stand up against that seems odd, it seems weird, and yet we want to just drift, just kind of coast with the culture. And so Paul is declaring to these groups of people who are proclaiming that Caesar is Lord, that this is false. That Jesus is Lord. In this ginormous culture, in this huge city, there's this remnant of people there whom God is sovereignly in his grace lavished upon that, calling them from death into life. And Paul wants to go be with those people so that they can spread throughout Rome preaching and teaching the gospel. He was going to be bold in this. See, when Paul is saying, I am not ashamed, he is saying, I am not sheepish. I'm, I'm not embarrassed. See, I'm not in silent. I'm not silent, just going to allow my, my lifestyle to be evangelistic. Paul is saying, no, I will preach the gospel. I will teach the gospel. Why? Because he doesn't say that, that my lifestyle is the power of God revealed in the gospel. No, it is the preaching and teaching of that. And if you have any conversations with non-believers, aren't we all in that kind of pickle? All in that tension? When people are spouting out that this is happening in the culture and this is happening in the culture and, you know, we believe in this and we believe in this. I mean, I was told by a bunch of college students in the last few weeks the same ones who were claiming to be Christian, that a woman can kill a baby whenever she wants to. Because it's her choice. It's her body. And told it doesn't matter. If, as long as it's not hurting anyone, a person can marry whoever they want to marry, that we should make all drugs legal, that we should make the drinking age pretty much non-existence, all of these sorts of things, all while claiming to be followers of Jesus and yet don't know the word. And ultimately, even if they do, I've been told this, well, culture changes. So should we. But this is not the word of Paul. See, Paul was willing to say, I will not be silent. I am confident I am bold. I am courageous. 
I am not in my own ability. I am not in my own strength. I am not in my own power. I am not in my own weakness. I, I gaze about the character of God and his, and his power with unleashes within me an unstoppable power. In Acts 1.8, after Jesus ascends and he commissions the disciples, does he not tell them? but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, when you stand against the culture in this gospel, you will be perceived as foolish. Jesus says that it will be the dividing line. That it'll turn friend against friend, brother against brother, sister against sister, mom against child, dad against child. That it will cause conflict, that people will leave. They will divorce themselves relationally for you sticking behind this truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul alludes to this. He tells us in, in, in verse 18 and following, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews damage uh, demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not... Uh, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Paul had come to know that, Jesus. Paul had come to know that power. Paul was not ashamed. Brothers and sisters, you need to know this. You're going to have conversations with people. And if you're preaching the gospel and you're resting under the authority of Scripture, I want you to know they are going to think that you are foolish. They are going to think that you are weird. They are going to think that you have lost your mind. But take heart and know that, man, this is the, the picture of God, that he's telling us that these are the very truths that are going to happen. And yet, God is powerful. God is stronger we knew that it would be foolish to preach Christ crucified and resurrection. William MacDonald, pastor and preacher, comments on Paul talking about this when he says this in this quote. 
Unlimited strength is at our disposal. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can serve valiantly, endure patiently, suffer triumphantly, and if need be, die gloriously. Paul would go on in his letter to young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self and lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, um, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Brothers and sisters, I would contend to you today that, that we have been in the last days of Jesus since the cross and resurrection. This, this has been a perpetual problem that people have been disobedient, without self-control, brutal. And we can say in 2017 that if we were to erase that this was a Bible verse and we were simply reading the newspaper and someone was describing our culture, would it not sound like this? As we have mentioned over and over again, we see in the Old Testament the people of God wandering from God. We see inside the New Testament the people of God wandering from His power, wandering from His character, wandering from His very nature. See, we are a people who are prone to love created things. We are a people who are prone to love and to edify tradition above God. We are a people who are, are just hungry for comfort. We are a people who love programs over faithfulness. We believe that our time and our talent and our treasure is, is all ours. We love to think of ourselves again as king. Even within the church, we can also, also lose focus and become distracted. And man, if you have ever been a part of trying to change through the power of God the trajectory of a church that has been heading in a wrong and unfaithful trajectory for a long time, it is extremely difficult. And yet, we are a people who have been shown grace by God. We are a people that like in the Old Testament, like in the New Testament, and throughout the history of Christianity, that when we wander, that God always sends men and women to preach and to teach and to encourage repentance and to return to who God is. We are a people who will once again stand against the culture and say, we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power for salvation. Are you one of those people? Are we one of those people? Are, are, are we a people that will once again, again, as the, the culture, much like Rome, is, is heading in a way that is the antithesis, the opposite of that which we see in Scripture, the antithesis 
this of God and his character. And what's crazy is that many of those people inside of those very walls are claiming to be followers of Jesus and yet don't know the Lord, don't know his word, are not engaged. They have a, a, a belief in God and yet are denying its very power. And yet God is calling us to once again to be a group of people that will stand up and say, enough is enough. Though you slay me, still I will follow you. You are God. You are all-powerful. I would encourage you to be weird, even if you are weird amongst the Sunday morning gathering. We see the importance of this. Not only inside of the Old Testament, not only inside of the New Testament, but as I mentioned, inside of the early church. By the time that the early 1500s rolled around, there was a, a major problem with what was known as the church. The church had moved from being weird. The church had moved from being on the fringes the, the, the church had moved from being the outliers to being at the very center of all of culture inside of Rome. They stopped being distinct. They stopped being unique. And I would contend to you that the church stopped being Christian. By this point in our church's history, or in the history of Christianity, we had decided and gotten in well with the kings of the time. Christianity had become the state religion. It had pretty much become the world religion and even to some extent was there to eradicate all other religions. We'd become fancy. We'd become civilized. We'd become high church. We gave ourselves a name. It was called the Catholic Church. The word Catholic literally means universal. Catholicism is not a denomination. It is believed still by this day, those who claim to be Catholic, they claim to be the church. To be outside of it is to not be under God's grace. That there is no such thing as life outside and underneath the Catholic church. By this stage inside of the church's history, um, again, like many of us, Everyone had an opinion about God. Everybody had an opinion about his word. And yet few actually read it. See, at this time in, in history, in the 1500s, we have gotten so and drifted so far away from the person and work of Jesus and from his gospel that, that literally all the people who did believe were simply believing what other people had told them. They were, had belief by hearsay, like the quotes I read from my college students. They don't know it for themselves. It wasn't about personal intimacy. It wasn't about study. And yet within that grouping of people called the Catholic Church, there was a remnant of people who were fighting for this idea of who is God. And when they compared the scripture, those who could actually read it, compared to what they were seeing in culture, it was a complete contrast from those two different things. Much of the underlying thread of the Reformation was trying to reconcile the church, people, Christians, back to who God was. 
and ultimately that they were totally depraved without him. That there was nothing that they could do to save themselves. See, due to sin invading the church from the culture, the Catholic church became less of a people focused on God. They became less of a people focused on Jesus. They became less of a people focused on the Holy Spirit, less of a people who would focus on the mission of God. They had become a political institution with widespread power. And it's hard for us to imagine that in 2017, imagine the church having so much power over culture, over politics, over economics, over education and welfare. Imagine all of that being driven by the church. See, the church had found favor with everyone in the culture. But God and his remnant. There was this young man named Martin Luther. Martin Luther was studying to be a lawyer and hated it. Go figure. (laughs) And one day while Martin Luther was walking down the road, a storm blew up. And he was struck by lightning. And he cries out after being struck by lightning. He screams out and he says, here's the deal. If you save me, I will stop being a lawyer and I'll become a monk. If you keep me from any more harm or or keep me from killing, from being struck by lightning, then I'll become a monk. Well, Martin Luther lived. He lived and in about two weeks, he dropped out of law school, went back to his parents, which I'm sure they were really excited about, and told them that he was going to stop being a lawyer and that he was going to take a vow and that he was going to become a monk. So he starts going to law school, and in 1508, they send Luther to Rome. And, in, and, and again, by this time, the Roman city, it's no longer pagan worshipers. But the Catholic Church is centered inside of Rome. So Luther goes to Rome, and so he's walking around the streets, and he began to notice like the, the sermons of the priests were really short. He started noticing that the sermons of the priests, that they, they were real just kind of flighty, and that they seemed to be wanting to do it as quickly as possible with the Mass, and then just go about their business. He was confused because he, he started noticing that there were all of these prostitutes inside of the holy city who, right alongside of priests and everyone else, would be petitioning for work. This is what Martin Luther began to see, and he began to really wrestle as he struggled in his own sin. He would often be found in the confessional booth himself, just pouring over just this guilt and grief over and over and over again because of his sin. And it really started to get on the other priest's nerves. So they're like, all right, here's, here's what we're going to do. We need to get this guy named Martin Luther out of our hair, and we're going to send him to Wittenberg, or if you're a good German accent, Wittenberg, all right? We're going to send him to Wittenberg, and inside Wittenberg, we're going to continue his education. This brother does not need to be a priest. He just needs to go work at a seminary somewhere and lecture. Get him out of our hair. And so they send Martin Luther to, to, to Wittenberg, Wittenberg, and um, inside of this, it is... It's, pretty much believed that Martin Luther had some issues going to the restroom. And one night as he was in the tower relieving himself, that he was reading the Bible again. He was a teacher of the Bible. Again, he was a, a monk. He was a friar, a priest. And came across a passage that he had read probably thousands of times. And in that passage, he read, once again, 
Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the, the righteous shall live by faith. And says that in that moment, he began to understand that as he had been indoctrinated, that man must save themselves through good works. That this was anti-gospel. That it was anti the truth of the gospel. That it was not your good works. That it was not my good works. That it was not paying stuff to the church or giving to the poor or not saying cuss words or drinking too much or smoking or any of those sorts of things that saved you. That ultimately it was by the sovereign hand of God that, that through faith that we are saved and justified not by anything that you and I can do but solely on the work of God because even faith itself is a gift imputed to you and I. So time goes on. We are not saved by works, fasting, praying, going to church. We are saved by the gospel. It is the power of God, this message. And so it was boiling within this young man named Martin Luther. And on October the 29th, on a Sunday, October the 29th, go figure, like today, 500th year anniversary, there was another friar that was coming to the town named John Tetzel. And John Tetzel was selling indulgences to people. Catholicism, they believe in what's called purgatory. That means that based on how good or bad that you are, that you need to go to a place before you're sentenced to hell or to heaven in order to kind of work out and pay a little bit for your sin, even if you're going to heaven. And they created inside of this way to get more money and to deceive people these things called indulgences from the Pope. So John Tetzel was in Wittenberg, and he's going around, and he's selling indulgences. And what an indulgence was is if you paid so much money, they would give you a certificate from the Pope, which is like getting a certificate from God, saying that you would not have to go to purgatory. Or that you could pay someone, one of your family members who is currently in purgatory, that you could pay them out of that moment with this certificate. So he's going around, and literally this is the quote that he would say, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So he's going around Wittenberg, and, and, and this guy named Martin Luther hears this taking place. And he finally says that enough is enough, that this is not the gospel, this is not the power of the gospel, that a person cannot save themselves out of any kind of punishment, that purgatory eventually will not even be belief or a belief of the church, that this is wrong, that they're just prying on the poor, that they're misleading them, that they're deceiving them. It would cost about a half a year's wages to buy one of these certificates. And as the church is getting more and more wealthy, the people are getting more and more po poor, but also more and more deceived. So Luther did not like this, ultimately because it went against the gospel. It went against Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And so he had finally had enough. So instead of 
October 31st being Halloween, it was first, October 31st in 1517, Luther had had enough with the Catholic Church, he had had enough with their misleadings of the Pope and its power and all this sort of stuff, wrote this thesis called the 95 Thesis. And on November 1st, went to the Catholic Church door in Wittenberg that he was an employee of and nailed this thesis to the door. This got Luther in a lot of trouble. A whole lot of trouble. A whole, whole lot of trouble. Inside of this 95 thesis, he calls people, the church, to repentance, to return to God, to come back to the character and nature of God, and ultimately that you are not saved by your works, that they have been lying to you, that this is not what the Bible says, that you are saved by the grace and mercy of God by faith through grace alone in Christ alone, under the authority of Scripture alone, for God's glory. And so over and over again, he is preaching this and he is teaching this. Tells them that the popes really have no power, that they are fallible. That meaning that they make mistakes. That the church and the pope have zero, uh, zero spiritual powers. He believed that the popes and the priests were all human inventions and not the grace of God. So in 1521, Luther is called, go figure, to to really stand trial at the Diet of Worms under the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. He's either going to be excommunicated or he's going to be killed. Charles V once said, a single friar who goes counter against all of Christianity for thousands of years must be wrong. So asked upon what authority or what power that Martin Luther dared to defy the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church, he famously responded with these words. Unless I'm convinced by testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason, for I can believe neither the Pope nor the councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contracted themselves, I consider myself convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scripture, which is my basis My conscience is captive by the word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant because accepting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. And at the conclusion it said and stated, I am finished. Luther understood that there was no power in himself to save himself. The only authority was the power that was in the word of God. There's this great quote from Luther. I don't have time to read you this morning. But they asked him what he had to do with the Reformation and with the change that was going to take place inside of the church. And he said this, All I did was preach the gospel, and while I was asleep, God did all the work. See, Martin Luther understood, as the disciples stood, understood, as Paul the Apostle understood, as Jesus himself understood that there was no power within man himself to save himself, that the power was not our own, but that the power was God. 
The hero of the Reformation, brothers and sisters, is not Martin Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and all these other men and women of great faith and truth. No, the, the hero of the Reformation is God, and it is Word. Do not aspire to Martin Luther, but aspire to whom Martin Luther aspired to, and his name was Jesus. The power was in the gospel, and it forever changed the course of history. You and I are here as a Southern Baptist church, church planting, Acts 29, meeting inside of the cafeteria. Don't you love our stained glass? It's awesome. I mean, we are here today as the people of God, worshiping God, because some bald-headed monk with a bowl cut decided that enough was enough, that the gospel was the gospel, that God is God, and I will stand even to the point of death against that wrongness. The gates of hell will not prevail against the growing of God's church. This is not him growing the church. It is Jesus growing the church. But he is calling as he has with the prophets of old, with the disciples inside of the New Testament, that we stand firm in the gospel because the gospel is the power to save. It is the revealing nature of God himself. So it's crazy it is crazy talk when we talk about to American Christians and they're saying things like, well, I just don't know if we should say anything. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus doesn't stand up, then Paul doesn't stand up, then the disciples don't stand up, then Martin Luther doesn't stand up, then um, Charles Spurgeon doesn't stand up, then Jonathan Edwards doesn't stand up, then guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones don't stand up, then guys like A.W. Tozer don't stand up. We have to come to a point to where we say that enough is enough. This does not look like the scriptures, even if it's offensive, even if it's not comfortable. Just lay down and lie, die mentality is not the gospel unless you're laying down to die for the sake of the gospel. But our passivity a duck's a duck. You got to be willing to call it a duck. Wrong is wrong, unbiblical. And again, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. There's a gospel way of doing this, and there's an anti-gospel way of doing this. But being silent and just allowing, again, our culture is just perpetuating this idea. So what does that mean for us? See, the, the Reformation exposed a counterfeit gospel. And the Reformation has never ended. The Reformation continues. We still, in 2017, in many ways are up against astronomical odds. When we look at the, the plane of our culture inside of America, and even within its church culture, even within Christian culture, the odds seem stacked against us. And yet God has never flinched. God has never lost. He's never had to sleep to rest. And if he did, he's never lost a moment of it over what's happening in our culture. See, at Mission Church, we say things like we're a Reformed church. It's one of our distinctives. And we will continue to be distinct in that. Why? 
Because in that, we are fighting not for one singular idea of the Reformation. We're not just fighting for the sovereignty of God in salvation, but, but we are joining with the, the history of our faith in saying that it is by Scripture alone, that it is through Christ alone, that it is by grace alone, that it is to God's glory alone. And we are unashamed of those truths, even if it's not popular. We want to fight for the gospel. We want to fight for the truth of the gospel. We want to know that it is in our weakness that God is is made strong. We want to be, as a congregation, people who are fearless. May we fear not the people of this world, for, for they are not God. But God has the power to save them. May Mission Church, may we not fear not because they are not saved through the, excuse me, may we fear not because because they are not saved through a perfect gospel speech, but through a perfect risen Savior. For not, Mission Church, the shame of man, but fear God. Have respect for God. Yes, are we reformed? Yes. Will we continue to fight for reformation? Yes. Is a revolution against sin, Satan, and death. And through the power of God, may we join into redemptive history. May we be a part of that. May we stand firm. May we lock arms in the gospel of Jesus Christ, reminding and being returned to the joy of our salvation that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? Is it, is it death? Is it trial? Is it all of these things? Is it principalities and rulers? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God and the same power that hung the stars, the same power that resurrected Jesus is the same power that lies within you and I to go forth in this world, not you know, running against hell with a water gun, but running against sin, Satan, and death with almighty God. And I believe that, that is something to give our lives to. I believe that it is the greatest thing to give our lives to. I believe that it is the ultimate thing to give our lives to because God is the gospel. And in the end, you and I who are faithful, who God has called, who God has saved, who God has chosen, guess what we get? We get almighty, powerful, majestic God himself. And all other things will look like rubbish. Let us be that church. Let us be that people. In the words of Luther, I must listen to the gospel. Why? Because it tells me not what I must do, but what the Son of God has done for me.